listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of South Crest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. What are the pages that are being written in your story right now? Maybe it's one of tragedy, maybe it's one of excitement, maybe it's one of hope and renewal, maybe it's one of frustration or just like monotony going through the same thing every day, I I don't know. What's being written on the pages of your story? Last week, uh, we studied, actually the past two weeks we've been studying in Genesis, Genesis, Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, and those are really just the beginning of what is the story of the Bible. So we often look at it as 66 books and different authors and different settings, which, which is true, but this is actually one book, ultimately one story. There was a pastor in Dallas that described it as there's a scarlet thread that runs through all of Scripture and makes it one unique, unified story, this whole thing. And I think it's pretty important to know the whole story of the Bible because this story impacts and changes every single story in this room, and actually every single story in the entire world. And it's cool, it's fun to read because just like your story, (laughs) the Bible is full of twists and turns and ups and downs and tragedy and hope and desperation and peace, all these different things. And it's interesting, unlike church people, including me, (laughs) and religious people, the Bible is incredibly and uncompromisingly honest about the brokenness of humanity. That this is a sin-filled, messed up world. <laughs> the Bible is not ashamed to talk about the problems that people have. So I don't know where you're at, where you're at in your story tonight um, and what your perspective is of Christianity and the Bible, but I mean, I hope that you won't look at Christians and turn away from Jesus because if you read the Bible, I think you'll find there's actually a lot of truth and a lot of honesty and actually makes sense of life. So what is the story of the Bible? I finished, if you weren't here last week, it doesn't matter, but I finished last week by mentioning that Genesis 3 was not the whole story. So what is the whole story? Well, to understand, you actually have to go back before Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, and you're like, well, actually, if I go back, there's just a table of contents that doesn't seem to tell me much, which is, you're right. But actually, in Isaiah and in Ezekiel, we find out about some things that happened before Genesis 1 and, Genesis, and what happened in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. See, before God created the physical reality, he created a spiritual reality. And in that spiritual reality, in the heavens, there was an angel named Lucifer. And Lucifer was majestic and beautiful and actually powerful. He was so powerful, so majestic, and really so close to the authority of God that he just couldn't take it. He wanted to be God. Now, if you've ever wondered, you know, I think Satan, like, he's, he can't be that convincing. He's probably not that good at what he does. You are wrong. <laughs> Do you remember how many angels he tricked in to coming with him to rebel against God? A third of the angels. Whoa! A third of the angels. So they've seen God. They've been in his presence. And Satan convinces them, hey, over here. (laughs) Which what's funny about Satan whispering and trying to be secret, God is what? 
all-knowing and omnipresent. He's everywhere. So God's like, cool, what are we talking about? <laughs> but he gets all, the angel, all these angels together. He's like, look. Somehow he promises them something that God, that they thought God wouldn't give them or that God wouldn't give them. He promises, come with me. So a third of the angels lined up with Satan to rebel against God. No question. Is Satan any match for God? No. God probably just like got the little broom. They come charging in the gates of heaven. He's like, right? Get on up out of here, right? Just like that, they fell. It's, it's, you know, we don't know, but it's kind of funny to think about Satan. All right, so now he's going to try again. He's going to try to sneak up on God. And then when he gets to this hiding place to look at God, he turns over and God's like, hey, what's up? What are you looking at? Because right? God's everywhere and he knows everything. Satan, so if he's going to get at God, he could not use ordinary tactics, ordinary warfare. Because he can't outsmart God and he can't outmight God because God is all powerful. So he stands no chance. That's why in Genesis 3, like we looked at last week, <laughs> Satan came slithering into the garden because he thought, if I can't get at God one on one, maybe I can hurt God by hurting the people he loves. Remember, God used to walk and talk in the garden with Adam and Eve, his perfect, intimate relationship. But when he tricked them into believing Satan over God, that perfect, amazing, incredible relationship, intimate relationship between humanity and God was broken. And what started in Genesis doesn't stay in Genesis. Man, it, it, the ripple effect continues today. It started there like a little pebble in the sea and has branched out across the world of brokenness and evil and dark, darkness and hurt and pain and sickness. It started right there. You can just imagine the glee of Satan. Yes, <laughs> I finally got God. And if you remember, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, really out of God's presence forever. It was broken. And what was hopeless for them of getting back into a relationship with God is actually hopeless for us on our own. <laughs> they were kicked out, we're kicked out. And in the case we don't think it got that bad, like, ah, it couldn't have been that bad. Immediately, you remember Adam and Eve, they had two boys, what were their names? Cain and Abel, how'd that turn out? Yeah, last I checked, if like, you know, if, if Haddon kills Carolina Tate one day, that's not great, right? It's not like, man, really good parenting, right? Like, like something, I shouldn't even say that, but... Um, that didn't turn out real well. And then, to skip ahead a little bit, things got so bad, so evil, that God was gonna essentially set a, hit a reset button on planet Earth, right? By sending a what? A flood. <laughs> and Noah, an incredible guy, God was gonna really spare the human race through the, the family, Noah's family, you know, the two by two, you got the animals and all that good stuff. But even when Noah was supposed to be kind of like the start over for the human race to like get us on the right course, if you read in Genesis, just shortly after getting on the boat, he's laying around drunk. You're kind of like, is this the best we got, bro? Like, not looking so good. Then after that, you've got Abram, who eventually becomes Abraham. And man, Abraham was an incredible man. He had a knack for believing God. He said he believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness, so like God said, hey, man, I'm gonna look at you as like you've lived a perfect life. He gave him righteousness. But no, excuse me, Abraham also had a knack for lying. 
and really not believing God. One time he went to Egypt, and him and his wife Sarah, they're walking in, and he's like, hey, look, uh, look, boo, um, I don't want anything bad to happen to me when Pharaoh sees how beautiful you are. If he knows I'm your husband, I could go bad. So I'm going to tell Pharaoh that you're my sister so they can do what they want with you, but not to me. <laughs> and you know what the worst part is? He actually did that twice. <laughs> they went to a different country, G-E-R-A-R, Gerar, I think it is. They go in there, and he says the same thing, which I'm like, people say, man, chivalry is dead. I'm like, chivalry died in like Genesis 12, right? Like, not cool, bro, not cool at all. Not cool at all. So Abraham was good, but he also had some issues. And his son, Isaac, you know, there's this thing about generational sin. Like, it's actually a real thing. There's a book called Turn, uh, Switch on Your Brain, and talks about how uh, sin and, like, tendencies towards certain sins and difficulties are passed down through the genes. It's really interesting. But unless someone chooses to fight a sin, it can just be passed down from generation to generation. So, so guess what Isaac did to his wife? The exact same thing. <laughs> Did the exact same thing to her. So this is supposed to be, let me back up, I, I should have mentioned this. Before all that happened with Abraham, uh, God had made a covenant with Abraham and said, look, I'm gonna bless you. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. But you're gonna be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Through you, through your descendants, I'm gonna bless everyone on the earth. Man, I wanna be a blessing to everyone through you. So again, it's, it's just kind of odd because this is supposed to be God's chosen people, and they're super dysfunctional. Like Isaac, which is Abraham's son, was a mess, and Jacob was maybe even more of a mess. Like lying, conniving. Um, his brother, by the way, was very hairy. Remember that story? Esau, like if, you have, if I put bear skin on my arms for you to make me think I'm somebody else, that dude is hairy, right? That's what happened with Isaac. Anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> Very incredibly dysfunctional family. I think that's why Jacob's sons were, were a joke, like evil. Remember when they tried to kill their brother Joseph, like left him for dead? There was prostitution going on. It, 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 was, it was a mess. Kind of hopeless. Again, this is supposed to be this family, this really what will grow into a nation, the nation of Israel, was supposed to be the hope of the world and they were a joke. Who does it look like is winning? God or Satan? Yeah, it kind of feels that way, doesn't it? As you're reading through the Old Testament. If you're ever reading, by the way, if you're ever reading through the Old Testament and you're like, man, I'm not really sure what the devotional point is. Sometimes the point is don't act like Jacob. <laughs> don't act like Abraham. There's a bigger story. And in a lot of the Old Testament, it's pretty dark. Kind of hopeless. Joseph was a bright spot, but they end up in Egypt, and what did they become in Egypt, the people of God? Slaves. For how long? 400 years. Not just like, man, that was a tough decade. No, 400 years. A tough four centuries. <laughs> then Moses finally leads the people out of Egypt. It's an incredible man. God shows up and smacks down Pharaoh, and he's showing off all his might. It looks like, man, God is awesome. But then the people get in the desert, and what happens? We want to go back to Egypt. We're hungry. And Moses is like, God, I'm going to kill him. God, would you kill them? They're killing me. <laughs> it, like, it's funny. As, again, you could, it's okay to laugh when you read the Bible because some of it is kind of funny. But it sure seemed like Satan was winning. 
kind of hopeless. Like these people, again, they're supposed to be this nation who's supposed to believe God, trust God, show people the way, the truth, and the life of who God is, and they don't even believe God enough to, like, to provide for their basic needs. Pretty hopeless. Then they finally, after wandering in the desert for 40 years, uh, which my mentor, I'll mention again here in a little bit, he talked about, can you imagine? Because they were waiting on that generation who didn't believe God to die. So he always jokes about, can you walk up to people like, how are you feeling today? Good? Crap. <laughs> it's going to be another year. <laughs> waiting for people to die. <laughs> but then they finally get into the promised land. This is awesome. And they go in, it's looking up. Things are going good. They conquer Jericho. They conquer these other cities. Things are looking great. But then they say, you know what? All these other nations around us, they have kings. We kind of want to be like them. Which, wait a second. God's people wanted to be like the world. Is that how it's supposed to go? No. It's supposed to be God's people being a blessing to the world, not like, we want to be like them. We want what they have. And God's like, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm your king. I, I, he says, I'm your God. You're going to be okay. And they say, nope, we want a king. So God says, fine, I'll give you a king. So, gives him king Saul. He looked good, but he wasn't good. <laughs> David was a pretty good guy, but didn't end so hot, right? Like murder, adulterer. Seemed to want to escape the consequences of sin, which you really can't. <laughs> and actually, there's just a downward spiral of the kings. For example, like in 2 Chronicles, 2 Kings, it mentions Manasseh. Manasseh was such an evil king that God says, my chosen people who are supposed to be the hope of the world and bring salvation and blessing to the world, they're actually more evil than the people that lived in this nation before them. They're actually more evil than the people that have no idea who I am. Pretty hopeless. <laughs> Seems like what Satan started in the garden is, would never stop. <laughs> they get all excited about these new kings. But then the problem is, like, even a good king like King Josiah, he eventually died. Like, you, you get some good ones, but then they don't last. And then, then their son or their grandson, whoever was the next king, would be terrible and evil and lead them away from God. And the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea, who were preaching some really good messages, no one was responding which as a preacher, I can tell you, is pretty frustrating. <laughs> like if I came up here and preached on Tuesday night, like next Tuesday night, no one's here, I'm not like, glory to God, amen. Like, I'm like, I hate my life. <laughs> they preached and really nothing happened. No one responded. Some of you are all cuddled up to your boyfriend or girlfriend tonight, all lovey Debbie. <laughs> don't, you don't have to scoot away, it's okay. If you didn't talk to your boyfriend or girlfriend, if your boyfriend or girlfriend didn't talk to you for four days, good sign or bad sign? Bad sign, yeah. <laughs> if you're not sure, it's a bad sign, yeah. <laughs> what, what about four months? You got to go, right? Like it, You know how long it is between the Old Testament writings of God giving his word to his people and what happened in the New Testament? 
Then there's 400 years. What is it with 400 years? <laughs> 400 years. Not that God wasn't doing anything at that time, but 400 years of, of not hearing from God. I remember when Laura and I were dating, I was in uh, seminary in Fort Worth, and she was still living in Jacksonville. And uh, when she graduated college, she went on a three-month mission trip to Spain. And uh, at the time, there was, uh, what's it called? No one uses it now. Not FaceTime, but there was uh, Skype. Do people still use Skype? No, my bad, my bad. Anyways, so there was Skype, but I, I wasn't cool enough to really know what that was. Anyways, so we didn't get, like I had to, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but when I say this, it makes it seem long ago. I would buy these calling cards to, to call her. <laughs> Keep one, shut up. <laughs> and no lie, it was, it was a dollar per minute. So if I wanted to talk to her for 45 minutes, it was $45. And y'all, y'all are in college, that's expensive, right? Like, no matter how much you love the girl, that's, that's expensive. And so... Those three months were tough. We didn't get to talk much. And even though like, we were still communicating because there wasn't much communication, it was tough. When there's no communication, like, a relationship rises and falls on communication. I think it's fair to say that the people of God thought, we're done. <laughs> like, if, if God is still real, he must have forgotten about us. There, he must have given up on us. Like, this relationship is never gonna be what it should have been because we're not hearing from him. <laughs> and over and over, they were conquered by country after country after country, and eventually Rome just kind of came in and took over, where Israel was basically just served Rome. <laughs> no hope. No hope of relationship with God. And then the weirdest thing happened an angel showed up to a teenage virgin girl and said, hey, you're gonna give birth. And she's like, continue, but this is weird. <laughs> you're gonna give birth to a child who's actually gonna be the son of God and you shall name him Jesus. <laughs> Cue dramatic effect. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I love? Hey, let, me, let me say something. I love that this is not really who we are, right? Like we're real people. But we talked about having a little fun with the lights and the music tonight because there's not a better story to be told and we want to do it justice. Is that fair? Sometimes a little dramatic effect doesn't hurt. But if you're here for the first time, this is not us. Like that's why everybody's laughing. Even me, I'm like, I can't do that with a straight face. We tried. <laughs> but just just come on the ride with us. <laughs> oh, y'all's reaction was hilarious. <laughs> okay. His name would be Jesus. I love it. She she looks at him and it's a fair question as a virgin teenage girl. She's like, uh, uh, Mr. Angel, sir, <laughs> how is this gonna happen? And he says, Hey. Anything is possible with God. Here's the most amazing thing. After all these decades and generations and centuries of people not really believing God that are supposed to believe God, supposed to be these big, tough, strong, godly men, this, uh, be encouraged here, young ladies, this little teenage virgin girl says, okay, I believe you. And God used her to give birth to a baby boy named Jesus. Now, Satan, he's not, he's not 
omnipotent, omnipresent, so he doesn't know all that's going on, but he gets word, probably through the wise men going and talking to Herod, that there's supposed to be a king of the Jews born. So he incited an already terrible, evil king. Don't have time to talk about all that Herod did, how messed up he was, what a tool he was. But he incited Herod to try to get rid of Jesus. So what did Herod do? You remember? Killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem. (laughs) But again, you can't outsmart God. God had hid Jesus away with his family in Egypt for the time. We don't know a ton about um, Jesus' childhood and growing up, but the beginning of his ministry, he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And it's interesting, it says when he came up out of the water, there was a voice that said, excuse me, hamburgers. <laughs> That's who we are, just kind of anyway. Um, a voice sounded said, when Jesus came up out of the water, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Now, I, we don't know, it's like, I can't necessarily prove this to you, but who was that said for? I don't think it was said for Jesus because Jesus knew who he was. Uh, the guy I mentioned earlier, Dr. Edwards, my preaching mentor, he thinks that this was God saying to Satan, you wanna go? Man to man, this is my man, let's go. <laughs> Been picking on all my kids for all these years. Man to man, the time has come, you and me, Let's go right now. And his reasoning for that, I think it makes a lot of good sense. That's why I'm telling you, is right after that, it says Jesus was led into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. And the most amazing thing happened. For the first time, Satan could not get someone to give in to sin. I think how irritated that must have made him. <laughs> Let's have been there. Like he, he's tempting Jesus over and over and over again. Every time Jesus was like, no, nah, I'm good. Dad, come in. <laughs> he couldn't get Jesus to sin. Jesus went back and began, really began his ministry. Man, he healed the sick. He made the lame to walk, the blind to see. And not just that, he preached about forgiveness and something that had not been done, something that was not common. He hung out with regular people. He invited the sick into his home. The people that ever, that were hated by the community, he'd say, hey, I'm gonna go have dinner at your house tonight. And they're like, what the? No, yeah, really, I'm gonna go eat dinner at your house which is kind of funny. We should start inviting ourselves to people's houses. Anyways, man, he reached out to people like had never been done before. Maybe there's some hope. But then it got even better because his friend Lazarus had died and he raised him from the dead. That's kind of a cool miracle. Like I did, Zach and I did hospital visits today I didn't really pray for that. Maybe I should have, but like that'd be pretty sick, right? That would be on the news if I raised somebody from the dead, right? That was on the Jew.com news. Like Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Man, if there was ever a feeling for the Jews, man, maybe there's some hope. Man, maybe we could have a restored relationship with God. Jesus is talking about something pretty cool of that he knows the Father. If we know him, we can know the Father. Man, maybe there's hope for a restored relationship. And just when it looks like things are getting really good, man, the crowds are coming and celebrating Jesus, Satan shows up in the most unsuspecting place. The religious leaders hated Jesus. The people who were supposed to, to be for God and love God, and you could say, like, be on God's side, hated Jesus. They saw him as a threat to what they were doing, to their power, to their lifestyle, so they hated Jesus. 
And actually, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, when everyone else was celebrating, man, there's hope, there's hope for us, they said, he's got to go. This is at that point, they made a plan to kill Jesus. You know, in this broken world, sometimes it's the people that you love most and that are closest to you that hurt you the most. Judas, one of the 12 that Jesus had spent so much of those three years with, betrayed Jesus. The night that Jesus knew that was gonna happen, it says he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. Kind of in a way, I kind of overlooks old Jerusalem. I've been there, it's cool. There's, by the way, what I love about the Bible is it's, it's, can touch the dirt, you can touch the rocks, the trees where these places are. This is, these are not fairy tales. There's actually a tree in the Garden of Gethsemane they believe is about 2,000 years old. So it's possible that, that tree dates back to when Jesus was in the garden. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know why I'm talking about that. <laughs> but Jesus, while he was in the garden, was so overwhelmed with what he was about to face that he'd been betrayed by Jews, he knew that crucifixion was coming. It says he sweat drops of blood. Judas, and really what were these religious thugs, showed up, arrested Jesus, gave him this ridiculous trial. They had nothing against him. They eventually said, he claims to be God. And they said, all right, we're gonna kill him. Because according to Jewish law, if you claim to be God, we're gonna kill you. The next day they took him, to Herod and to Pilate, and Herod and Pilate said, hey, we can't, we, we can't find anything wrong with him. Like, we don't have a reason to convict him of anything. Even tried to release Barabbas. Nope, Jesus. So to try to appease the crowd, Pilate says, okay, I'll have him flogged. So Jesus was taken out, strapped to a wooden post so he couldn't move or dodge blows. Take his clothes off. And the Roman soldiers took a whip with a wooden handle that had leather straps on it. On the end of each leather strap would be um, a piece of bone or a piece of metal. And they began to whip him over and over. Each time the metal or the bone digging into his flesh, ripping skin, tearing muscle, exposing organs and even bones. crowd wasn't happy enough. Crucify him! So they took Jesus, made him carry his cross to a hill called Golgotha. It's the one who just days before people were cheering, man, this is the hope of the world, man, we love this guy, and now they're all saying, we're going to kill him. By the way, a twist like that, like, that's supernatural in an evil to go from we love him to we're going to kill him in the most evil way ever invented. That's, that's not just humanity. That's supernaturally evil. Carried his cross. And they stretched out his arms, his feet. And like railroad spikes, nailed him to that cross. And then lifted it up so that when it landed in the ground, there was a thud in the ground. And his flesh ripped breathing became laborious. He 
eventually breathed his last. Jesus died. And the hope of the world, all these years waiting for a restored relationship, now the hope of the world is buried in a grave, put in the dirt. And the one that we thought maybe he can make things right again, just maybe there could be forgiveness of sins, like he talked about. He said he could forgive sins, but he's in the dead, he's in the grave now, so there's no hope of that. The one who made their hearts beat with hope of a future, he talked of heaven, that he would prepare a place for them. The one who Acknowledged that the world was broken, but seemed to say that he could fix it. He was laying in the grave. <laughs> Hopeless. I think Satan thought he had won. <laughs> Probably rejoiced. Had a party in hell with that third of angels. And in the story, that page probably if you could picture it, probably looked and felt like a two-ton page. Like, how could you ever, you can't lift that page to turn it to see what else is coming in the story because it's too heavy, it's too big. <laughs> like, it's, it's over. <laughs> but three days later, Jesus rolled back that stone. And when he did, it was like he rolled that two-ton page over and got up out of the grave. <laughs> because Jesus, he's not just a dude. <laughs> he's God. <laughs> See, when Satan pulled the lever on the crucifixion of Jesus and thought he had won, <laughs> he was just playing into the plan that God had laid out before the foundation, uh, Revelation 12 says that that God had laid out before the foundation of the world, that Jesus would be the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. He was playing into the plan that Jesus, that God had written in Genesis 3, we didn't talk about last week, Genesis 3, verse 15, that there would be a coming one, a seed of the woman, a child of the woman who would come and would crush the head of the serpent. And that one is Jesus Christ. I think Satan, that man, he had to be so just fall to his knees and just defeat that he had actually played right into God's hand because you can't outsmart God. You can't outmight God. <laughs> Jesus got up from the grave. And when he did, he offered all the things he had promised in his life. Hope, forgiveness, and you know what? A restored relationship with God. I mean, that's a story worth getting excited about. He said, I do have a place for you. Man, it's so amazing. All the things that were prophesied about him, Isaiah 53, that by his wounds, we are healed. <laughs> we can have restored, Romans 5. We can have peace with God because of him. Galatians, that it's not because of what we do, but because of what he did. We can have a relationship with God by grace through faith. Ephesians says that we're made alive to God in Christ. So it's not that I'm dead and separated from God. It's not that I'm alive and get to walk and talk with the living Savior. 
Hebrews says that I can come into his presence no matter what I've done, no matter how messed up and screwed up my past is, or even I am today, I can come into his presence boldly because of what Jesus did for me. Because see, when he died on that cross, he paid the price for your sins. What happened in Genesis 3 did not stay in Genesis 3. Jesus carried it to the cross so that you could go back ultimately one day to Genesis 1, restored relationship with God. Then what happened after Jesus got up out of that grave? Acts 2. Y'all should know what happened there. The Holy Spirit fall, fell. Even though we're Baptists, we get a little excited about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit came and empowered the people to be bold for Christ. All of a sudden, they're like, I got somebody inside of me, and his name is the Holy Spirit. Jesus wasn't lying. And they could be bold. They begin to live transformed lives. And we, too, can live transformed lives because Philippians 2 says the Holy Spirit gives us the ability and desire to live for Jesus, that he's going to carry out what he started in us. No matter how messed up you are, he's not going to quit on you. If he went to the cross for you, he'll keep on carrying you because he loves you. And you know what? The end of the story, Revelation, we could do a really, I'm not going to say that. We could do a long series in Revelation if we're not going to. Revelation, all we're going to say is Jesus is coming back and it's going to be better than Genesis 1. <laughs> you know why? I keep referencing my mentor. Man, he said this. I think he's so true, so right. When Moses described Genesis 1, he used real words. When John describes what he sees of heaven in Revelation, he, he, can't, he makes up words. He's like, he says, it's kind of like this. It's like there's streets of gold, but I, I don't have words to tell you what it is. It's going to be even better. And the, the serpent, the, Satan, remember Lucifer? He'll be thrown out forever, so he won't be slithering back in. What's the story of the Bible cover to cover? That you can have a restored relationship, intimate relationship with God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, Christianity is not a bunch of to-dos. It's not a bunch of don'ts. It's not a bunch of come to church and act like you have it together because we don't. We're all acting like fools and we do that anyways. Christianity is about I'm broken and in need of a Savior, and praise be to God, I have a living hope because he came to rescue me. He doesn't just die for me. He got up out of the grave for me. That's the story of Christianity. Jesus was, is, and will be our hope, our song, and our everything. That's what Christianity is about. The story that starts in Genesis, praise God, doesn't end in Genesis. I think some of us tonight, maybe when we're done later, maybe you need, or maybe even now, you just need to like where you're at, just give your life to Christ. What is, that's a churchy way, I apologize. What I mean by that is just talk to God, talk to Jesus, say, hey, I realize I'm broken and I'm, mess, and I'm messed up. And I don't even know if I really get this whole church thing, but I heard the story of the gospel tonight and Jesus, I know that I need you. So I wanna give you my life. Romans says that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Confess him with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So to say, Jesus, I believe in you, and I want you to be in charge of my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. You will be saved. Jonathan talked about a guy named Paul. Paul was as far away from Jesus as you could possibly be, and God saved him and turned his life around. He wrote a ton of the New Testament. So if you're in here tonight, please don't think that your sins can keep you from God, because they will on your own, but not if you turn to Jesus. Some of you just need to turn to Jesus tonight. Maybe it's right where you're at right now. Or maybe afterwards you want to talk to me or a connect group host. Man, tonight's the night.
I think a lot of us as Christians in here tonight just need to reorient the story of our life. <laughs> See, all of our stories make a whole lot more sense when they revolve around this story. <laughs> I don't know how many times I found myself discouraged, frustrated, ashamed, disoriented, <laughs> lacking identity, lacking worth, lacking purpose, feeling unloved. And when I turn to the story of the gospel and the story that tells me about a savior, man, it changes everything. All those things begin to come into line because I wasn't meant to live for my story. I was meant to live for his story. Some of you maybe just need to reorient your life or maybe just be encouraged and remember the gospel that, man, I have a restored relationship with God because of what Jesus did, not because of what I did. And again, if you say, well, man, you don't know, like my, my sins, I, even as a Christian, I feel like my sins have kind of cut me off from God. Romans says that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. <laughs> if anything tonight, this is an invitation to right-size the story of Jesus in your life. We've got a picture of some rocks I want to show just for a second. That's not a bad picture. This is at Twin Lakes in Colorado, kind of on the edge there. And it's kind of, it's kind of a cool picture. Right? There's some pretty things to look at. Um, I think sometimes in our life, this is what we see. I know for me, for sure, this is... This is what I see often. I'm looking, this is my perspective. Kind of up close, see a few things. I want to show you a different picture from the same exact place, Twin Lakes. My buddy Rob took this with his drone. Same exact place. Actually, those, I'm not going to touch the screen, but the rocks that I just took a picture of were kind of over to the right a little bit. Now, I may be a little biased to Rob's drone, but this is a way more beautiful picture, right? Most of us live our lives, if we can go back to the first picture just for a second, most of us live our lives right here. And it's, again, it's not bad. But if we go to the second picture, this could be so much more beautiful <laughs> and so much more free and amazing. When I look at the first picture of my life, kind of the, the rocks up close, I'm missing out on a whole lot. What the invitation tonight is, is to maybe zoom out and refresh your perspective, how your life, how your story fits in to the story of Jesus. And when you do that, I believe you'll find life to be more beautiful, more satisfying, and honestly, all the pieces of the puzzle will kind of come together and make more sense. You are not the hero of your story, nor is anyone else in this room, or for that matter, on this planet. Jesus is supposed to be the hero of your story. And when you live like that and look to him for that, things fall into place. Jesus was, is, and will be our hope, our song, our everything. Jesus, thank you that the story doesn't end in Genesis. And thank you 
that even though we get so focused on our little stories and what's right in front of us, what's, what's happening tomorrow, what's happening next month, that even though we get so distracted by the now, that you've written a much more beautiful and grandiose story for us to be a part of and for us to look at every day. So God, I pray for those that are discouraged tonight, that you would encourage them to find how their story fits with your story, God, that they would know that as little and as insignificant as they may feel, that you, the creator of the universe, see them and love them enough to leave heaven to come and rescue them. God, for those that maybe feel distracted and disoriented tonight, God, that you would give them purpose and focus and show them that man, as long as they're finding their story within your story, you're gonna guide them. And God, for those that don't know you, God, I pray that tonight they would find their hope in you, that they would turn to you for salvation. Lord, as we sing a little bit, I pray that we would just, we would just <laughs> rejoice and get excited about your story and the hope we have in you. Thanks for listening to The Journey Podcast. You can learn more about The Journey by checking us out on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for at The Journey LBK.